What do you think of this question? Dan, I'm 27 years old. Is it too late to find the work I love? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to be taking care of business. You know, the question I started out with there, you could put any age you wanted in there. I get letters, emails, questions from people. You could put in any age you want. I'm 27 years old. Is it too late to find the work I love? I got one just this week. I'm 57 years old. Is it too late in life to change? Well, those are the kind of things we're going to be unpacking today. And a whole lot more, some of the other questions. Dan, why are you not a fan of people sharing their income reports? Somebody apparently heard me say that. All right, we'll deal with that. Do you have any suggestions for work that would be music-related? Dan, I'm a senior in college. If I use the concepts in 48 days now, will I secure a job before graduation? Reasonable question. Dan, I recently resigned from my job in banking after 28 years. I felt I was dying a slow death and was desperate for a change. Any ideas about what I should pursue? I'm considering starting my own consulting or outsourced CFO business. Right, and and one I want to we'll have fun with. Somebody says my credit is shot and I have no savings, but I want to start my own business. Any hope for me? I'm going to tell you an amazing story about a kid who had shot credit, no money, and has built an amazing business. Um, Stick around for that. You'll want to hear that. Well, our quotation today comes from C.S. Lewis, who says, you are never too old to set a new goal or dream a new dream. There you go. Never. Doesn't matter what age you are. And our resource today, when is it too late to find the work you love? Go to 48days.com slash old. All right, simple. Just go there. Got some tips there. 48days.com slash old. If you feel like you're too old, you've missed your window of opportunity, hey, go there for some resources. But I'm going to give you some encouragement today as we unpack this as well. Also, I want to let you know about an open house we've got coming up every once in a while. I think we well, about three or four times a year we do these where we open up our Monday mentor calls in the 48 Days Eagles community. Just to give everybody a taste of what we do in there. This one's going to be with Eric Johnson, who is the podcast talent coach. Now, so we're going to talk about the power of podcasting, what you do to monetize a podcast and all that. But it'll give you just an example of what we do every Monday. This is from two to three o'clock central. This is going to be Monday, March 15th. The one I'm talking about here. And if you go to 48days.com slash open house, you'll be able to see that. Register, you got more details there, but you can register to join us. Again, 48days.com slash open house. A couple of good news things here we want to share before we jump into the questions. Actually, here, this comes from a listener. Joe says, I attended your goal setting webinar last November, set some goals for the year. Here's a report on one of those goals. Under the personal development goals, I set a goal to read seven books this year. Now, again, so we're in 2021. I'm talking, this is March 12th. So he's at the time I thought that was an ambitious goal because I'd only read four books last year. I'm pleased to report that I've read 10 books so far. 
that's pretty cool. How did I do this? Well, that was the fun part. At the start of the new year, my local library had a winter reading challenge. The challenge was that if you could read six books by the end of March, you would win a coffee mug. If you read 10, you would be in the drawing for an iPad. I wasn't interested in the coffee mug or the iPad, but I did like the challenge. So I tracked my progress every day on an app the library offered. I could and did read or listen to library books or books from my own library, which each with each book completed, I would get a digital badge. The library required that I read different genres and formats. This put me out of my comfort zone, but it reminded me of the story you would tell about sewing up the buttonholes, forced me to read something I normally would not. So I read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. God, I love that book. I read To Kill a Mockingbird. On a book written by a local author that dealt with death and dying, going outside the same old thing was enlightening. This challenge also showed me that I can do what I set out to do. All I need to do is come up with a plan to do it and track my progress. Thank you for your help in setting goals. It was a big help to me. Awesome, Joe. And that is so, so true. I mean, that's the power of discipline in one area. It then carries over. Having set a goal there and achieved it, wow. You could say, I want to lose 20 pounds, and you know you could do it. You could say, you know, I want to take a trip to London this year, and know you could do it. That's the power of having something where you set a goal and then you achieve it. It gives you the confidence, the know-how, the practice, the stretching of your disciplined muscles to know you can go on and do it in other areas. Great example. Thanks for sharing that. Well, here's a Chicago coffee shop owner who's collected 6,000 warm coats for the homeless and delivered them with coffee. Now, this is a little under one of the train stations, really. It's a, a shop owner's name is Pilot Pete, and he's been the driving force behind what he calls Coffee with a Purpose, an annual community initiative that collects and distributes coats and other necessities to help the homeless population there in Chicago. And believe me, Joanne and I typically go to Chicago right before Christmas every year. We love going there, and we know sometimes it is bitter, bitter cold. And this year, most of the homeless shelters have been closed, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. So it's made it even worse. So he just spread the word, Pilot Pete did, and he had the first year he had 3,000 coats donated, which blew his mind. This year he had six, and they have all kinds of other, he, he donates 40 gallons of coffee. They drive around to these different areas. Other people have donated blankets, socks, hats, gloves, scarves. Mm, there's some other things here. Golly, there are other organizations that have donated things as well to make this all work. Now, here, here's a, a caveat on this. His location is in danger because of some new development that the city is doing. But here's my question to you. What do you think the chances are that this guy is going to be totally out of business if they, in fact, close down his location? He's already made a name for himself by networking, by doing something good in the community. People are going to band around Pilot Pete if he has to come up with a new location. I'll try to keep track of the update on this, but that was kind of just thrown in at the end there. But this is the kind of guy who's got a lot of security. This guy's never going to be homeless. He's never going to be hungry. He's never going to be lacking an opportunity because of the things that he's already done that give him that kind of guarantee. Wow. Well, we could park there, but let's go on. Stephen says... 
Dan, I've been working on two platforms for purposes of launching podcasts with complimentary blogs. What I'm discovering is that the one I'm invested most of my time in, energy and money, is really a subset of the other platform. Essentially, it's a health and wellness subset of general concerns and issues that those of us who have reached a certain stage in life are facing. So my question is whether I'm better served merging the two platforms, making the health and wellness subset one of many topics in a general podcast, or make each podcast focused on a particular subject. So one podcast with a multitude of topics or a multitude of podcasts, each focused on one topic. Well, that's easy for me to give you my opinion on that. And that's certainly what it is, Stephen. You'll drive yourself crazy having multiple podcasts with different topics. I don't really think there's any merit in that. I think to give you, give you, I think it'll dilute your effectiveness and your energy. You know, if I were doing a podcast every day on different topics, it'd just be one more day, you know, just cranking something out. As it is, I have one, one that's totally focused on the very things that I devote my life to, helping people figure out how God has gifted them, what kind of work that's going to mean on Monday morning, how to put legs in that, how to grow an idea, how to find your passion. I mean, that's it. Just one. I think you're better served to do that. Now, obviously, this has to do with how you're structuring your business. I mean, are you trying to monetize having a podcast? You know, for me, it's simply a feeder for other things that we do. But, you know, so it depends on that. There are a lot of factors. But in general, I would say don't try to have a whole bunch of podcasts. No, become known for something. Become the expert in something rather than being a generalist who just does anything that happens to pop up. Tammy says, I'm 57 years old. Now, this is one of those, one of those many that we get every week. But she says, I'm 57 years old. I'm a special ed teacher. I don't enjoy my job due to politics at school. Is it too late in life to change? I still don't know where my talents lie. Help, please. This is Tammy from Nashville, 57 years old. What do you think? Is she over the hill? Too late? Time to just get ready to kind of coast into the grave? Well, I don't think so. You know you're not going to hear me say that. I mean, we can go back and grab examples. There's so many examples out there that are well-known. Certainly, you know, Colonel Harlan Sanders is one of those guys. He got fired from a whole bunch of jobs before starting his own restaurant. And then he failed, went out of business when the freeway came in and nobody came driving down the little road that used to go right in front of his restaurant. So he found himself broke, absolutely broke at 65 years old. Well, He struggled, but he had this recipe for chicken. So at 65 years old, he started driving around, had an old car, he painted his face on the side of the car, so he'd kind of stand out when he drove up. But he started at that age getting restaurants to pay him a nickel apiece for using his recipe in selling their chicken. Well, less than 10 years later, he had more than 600 Kentucky Fried Chicken franchises in the United States and Canada. Started at 65. Somebody else in the same kind of industry, the guy who started McDonald's as we know it, Ray Kroc, he was 52 years old in 1954. He was a milkshake machine salesman. And then he happened on, wow, these guys who were selling hamburgers had kind of a cool system for that. And instead of just selling his milkshake machine, he bought their business. So after six years He had, at that point, he would have been uh, 58 years old, had more than 200 McDonald's franchises, but he was still barely earning a profit. 
So he really had to grow beyond that before he really found his stride. So he would have been well in his 60s before he really was making money from what he was doing. Grandma Moses, remember her? I talk about her frequently. You know, she was, she as a little girl, she would draw and paint it. People would ooh and ah, but then people would come along with that great advice. Well, that's fine. But you've got to do something, you know, responsible, something practical and realistic where you can make a living. So she got a job essentially as a secretary, and that's what she did her entire life. She was 76 years old when her husband died. And she was thinking, you know, what do I want to do in my remaining years? I've got a little time. Well, she remembered how much she had enjoyed painting. She was 76 years old when she turned out her first painting that we know of. And that painting was sold ultimately for $1.2 million. She spent the next 25 years as a painter. That was the most fulfilling, enjoyable. And, and, and the thing is, you know, she made more with that first painting than she had earned in her entire lifetime working in a job where she was being responsible. Now, again, just so many principles packed into that, but oh my goodness, when you find your, your joy, find your passion, combine that with talent and an economic model where you make money, my goodness, what you can do at that point is amazing. Well, one more, Julia Child was 49 years old when um, she first started being known for her cooking. Then at 51 years old, she got her first TV show. At 69 years old, she became really co-founder of the American Institute of Wine and Food, helped advance the knowledge of food and wine through restaurants. And at At the age of 72, she completed the videotapes that really made her famous. 72 years old. You know, age can't stop you from flourishing unless you allow it to. Wow, even if you have doubts about it, you mean doubts become powerful only when you allow them to be real for you. You can write and keep rewriting your story till you reach the ending you wish. And if you're 57 or 27 or 37 or 87, you can still decide how you want to write that out. You hear me talk a lot about what do you want your life to look like three years from now? If we were to meet three years from today, what would have to happen in your life personally and professionally for you to be really happy about where you were? Just start with that exercise and then work forward. Doesn't matter. You can erase the chronological number that defines where you are right now. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about, I fiddled around with a whole lot of things before I really found my stride. Made some big mistakes, had some great successes along the way, made some big mistakes. And it was when I was 53 years old that that one glorious morning, you know, walked in the fax machine back when he had faxes peeled off 14 pages of irs lien releases and i realized that i i had a net zero worth i was worth absolutely zero i was thrilled because that ended a long period of time where i was heavily heavily in debt because of some previous business decisions so at 53 i was absolutely broke i was also 53 when i released the first version of 48 days to the work you love That's what I'm known for at this point, but that started when I was 53 years old. So the things I've accomplished have been since then. So I want to encourage you, believe me, 
Tammy, I want to encourage you. It's not too late, but, and you can figure out what it is that you want to do, where your talents lie. You ought to have enough life experience at this point to look back on those, reflect back, get that clear focus, and then move forward with confidence from there. All right, Catherine says, Dan, you mentioned in passing that you're not a fan of the income reports that are popular with bloggers these days. It seems that some industries lend themselves more to full transparency than others, and that many businesses have valid reasons for not being fully transparent about their income. Could you elaborate on why you don't use income reports, and if you think there are any situations where it might be a good idea? Thanks so much. You know, we see this a lot. Oh my gosh, when you jump on Facebook, it's filled with you know, you can make 50,000. I made $50,000, you know, those kind of things, you know, gee, I sold, I launched a course and we sold, you know, 2,500 copies at a thousand dollars a piece. Boom. You see those things all the time. People bragging on those. Now, for one thing, I really do dislike those income reports and those kind of bragging things. A lot of times, if somebody has launched a course, and I, I know how these things work. We've been part of these, done joint ventures with people. If we promote a course and it sells for $2,000, chances are we got 40% of that. So with that, we'd get $800. That's pretty typical, the kind of sharing that somebody does. So if they generate a million dollars, probably right out of the gate, they gave away $400,000 of that just in fees for other people promoting what they had. Now you can go on down the road with that as well. You know, what they really end up with may not be that significant. There are people who have online businesses where they're selling fulfilled by Amazon or selling through Amazon. Well, with that, when with Amazon takes out their fees and you have shipping and storage inventory and all those things, you may do $30,000 in business in a month and you may make $800. I mean, it's not uncommon where there's a very, very slim margin for that kind of business. So to brag about your income is really meaningless. Now, there's, that's a lot of why I hate those, because just saying what your income is really has nothing to do with net profit. The other reason I really am not a fan of that is because I feel like income, even if it's net income, is only one measurement of success. I mean, what if somebody has a really profitable business and they decide to take three months and go teach on an Indian reservation? That's going to be a really big dip in their income. Are you going to think less of them because of that? I have a cousin who's made 31 trips to Haiti, hauling supplies in a plane at his own expense. Supplies, he's a contractor, so he can get supplies at his cost, go down there, and they make a major difference for people who are on the ground there working to help small businesses, build schools, churches, hospitals. He just does that. I mean, that's going to really take a big dip out of his net income. Are we going to think less of him? Because of that, what if I stopped giving away books to schools and back-to-work training centers? Would you think more highly of me if I showed a higher net income? I just think it's an artificial measurement of what success is all about. So I'm really not a fan of it at all. You'll never hear me talk about figures for my income. I mean, I it's not, it's not that I'm embarrassed. I just don't think it's an appropriate thing to share about business. And here's the other thing. You know, if if I say that I made $2 million 
last year or last month. I don't care, whatever. Does that inspire you? Or does that make you feel like, oh, I could never do that? See, I don't even know how to relate that. What does that mean to somebody who may be hearing that? In some ways, I think it's discouraging to people to hear those kind of figures. They think, well, there's such a a gap there. I would never be able to do that. So I don't know what figure when shared really works well to motivate somebody. And the people that I follow, I mean, if it, you know, the old time grade Zig Ziglar, Brent, Dennis Waitley, you know, Brian Tracy, guys like that, you know, they never bragged about their income. They showed you the way you could get in the game and do what you do well. Then you set your own criteria for what that means. I mean, we're going through Think and Grow Rich, the classic book by Napoleon Hill in the 48 Days Eagles community this year, one chapter every month. Well, there's not in their identification of what your income ought to be, Think and Grow Rich. What does that mean? Now, last week on the podcast here, I played a clip from Napoleon Hill where he went through the 12 things that he says constitute real riches. And this is so unlike the thinking of so many young entrepreneurs today and people who are out here bragging about what they're doing. All they're focused on is the money they're making. Here's that list of 12 things again. I'm just going to read it. I won't have him say it this time, but I'm going to read it again. The things that Napoleon Hill says, an author of Think and Grow Rich, these are the things that constitute real riches. Number one, positive mental attitude. Number two, sound physical health. Three, harmony in human relations. Four, freedom from fear. Five, the hope of future achievements. Six, the capacity for applied faith. Seven, willingness to share one's blessings with others. Eight, to be engaged in a labor of love. Nine, an open mind on all subjects toward all people. Ten, complete self-discipline. Eleven, wisdom with which to understand people. And number 12, financial security. Show me a list of somebody's success in those first 11, and I'm more likely to be interested in following them and their techniques than if they just show me the last one being number 12. All right, going to leave it there. Charles says, hello, Dan, I've recently rededicated my life to music again after a brief career as a graphic designer. I'm currently developing a a band that will start performing later this year. However, I'm in a very unstable and unhealthy job right now, and I'm looking to start a business to start earning some side money now and support me in the future while the band is growing. I'm at a loss for business ideas. Do you have any suggestions that would be music-related? I also have a background making children's books, which I also love, just not seeing any connections. Well, I mean, I love what you're doing, and if you recognize that music is your passion— Absolutely. I mean, build a band. I mean, golly, there's so many old stories about that. You know, start a band. Absolutely. I mean, start up again. Joy and I, last night, going out to dinner, we walked past a car in the parking lot. I said, oh, that looks like the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers. Start up the Blues Brothers. Go for it. Rock and roll. Well, there's so many things you could do. I mean, you could work in a music store. You could offer guitar lessons or whatever instrument it is that you play. You know, you could tutor kids who are being homeschooled in in music. Here's an example. On April 12th, I'm going to have Chad Jeffers as my guest on our Monday mentor call in the Eagles community. Now, Chad, um, some of you recognize his name. He's the guitarist for Carrie Underwood, has been for years. He played with 
Oh my gosh, who are some of the play, people that he played with prior to that? I can't bring the names to mind. Anyway, he is known as the guy. He's that guy where he doesn't audition. He's never auditioned because he's so good at what he does. It's that old Steve Martin adage, you know, be so good they can't ignore you. Well, Chad is that guy. So he gets a lot of opportunities. Now, when Carrie's out on the road, Chad gets paid extremely well. I mean, he's been on every kind of award show and, of course, all the late night shows, been on all of those, been all over the world. But Carrie is also a wife and mother. So when she decides she's going to have another baby, like she did recently, or she's not going to tour this year, wow, then Chad doesn't have that income. So does he just sit at home and wish for something better? No, he has all kinds of other things that he's developed his own little book on how to get into the music industry. He does session work. He does a lot of playing the dobro and unusual instruments as part of other people's music creation. But he also just recently got his real estate license, which he had talked to me about it probably a year ago, so ago. And I, th- I thought, that's awesome. And he was concerned, would people see that as, well, kind of a, a fallback that he didn't make it in music? I said, heavens no, people know. You're, you're so well established. People know that. But to fill in the gaps when you aren't on the road with Carrie, I think it's beautiful. Well, and his connections are amazing in the music industry. So guess who his prospects in real estate are? They are you know, Kenny Loggins, that's, that's one of the guys that he, he played with prior to that. It was Kenny Loggins who just calls up and says, hey, can you be in Los Angeles in two weeks? I want you to you know, be part of this tour. Well, those are the kind of opportunities Chad has had. But now he's selling real estate. What a cool thing to leverage his celebrity status in music and now offer that service as new musicians are looking for places to live in the Nashville area. And there's a lot of them in and around there. They have a a lot of them have a lot of money. So he's talking about high end real estate. Anyway, that's another example, but sure. Find things that are related to what it is that you love. doesn't have to be just money that you get from having a band that may take a little while to generate money there, obviously, but there are other things you can do for sure. And check out our, I haven't chat on with me on, that's going to be April 12th. And it'll be on with me from two to three central as our Monday mentor in the 40 days Eagles community. Brandon says, I'm a senior in college seeking a bachelor's degree in finance. My passions is pers- are personal finance and investing. If I use the concepts in 48 days now, will I secure a job before graduation? I can say yes. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. I mean, it's no secret. Having concepts and principles are one small part of you being a great candidate that somebody wants on their team. Are you a nice guy? Are you somebody that people enjoy being around? Do you have a nice smile, a firm handshake, energy when you talk, when you walk into the room? I mean, there's there's a whole lot of things that are more important than you having a degree. Having a degree is uh, way down the list. It's like the list we just had there from Napoleon Hill about what constitutes being rich. Finance is the number 12. If we made a list of things that are important and are going to make you a good candidate to get a job, I'd I'd put your degree in finance as number 12. We could come up with 11 other things. Maybe I ought to do that just as a lark. 11 other things that are more important than you having a degree. So, Yes, go through the concepts in 48 days because I do address a lot of those things. So figure those things out. You know, what happens in the first 10 minutes of an, or 10 seconds rather of an interview? You know, how are people going to see you? 
Those are the things that are going to make you. So use the principles. Yes, those things will open the door. And there's lots of opportunity out here. You ought to be able to go right out here and find a position if you do use those principles and personalize those. You know, I had a question yesterday from somebody who just got a graduate degree. Now, this comes after a master's degree, but there are now training programs in philanthropy. So the question was, from, this was from a school who has graduates coming out with degrees in philanthropy. And the question was, you know, they're having a hard time finding jobs. Well, this is a really, it's a philosophical dilemma. I'm going to unpack this in my own thinking, not here now, but this is a philosophical dilemma. Philanthropy implies somebody who really loves other humans. I mean, that's what the word means. You love other humans. So it means you care about helping others, maybe those who are marginalized or disadvantaged. So, and often people who are known for philanthropy are giving away money. They're doing things, not expecting anything in return. So now we come along and we create a degree that teaches people in philanthropy, what are they likely to do? They're going to go out and approach organizations and say, give me a nice big salary, and then I'll help you give away your resources to people who need it. I mean, it's a dichotomy there. It's a catch-22 that almost doesn't seem to make sense at all. But here's the thing. I mean, my son, Jared, is very involved in philanthropy, but he has opportunity. He has organizations reaching out to him more than he can possibly respond to who want him to be involved with them. And it's because of what he's done for the last 20 years. I mean, he spent 10 years in East Africa and then two in Costa Rica with what he's done over there. And then what he's, what he did with organizations that he wanted to be involved with, he shows up and says, how can I help you? You know, here's what I can do. Will this help you in what you're doing? No expectation of compensation. But in doing that and then proving himself, then the organizations are saying, oh my gosh, we got to figure out a way to compensate you to keep you from leaving. That's exactly what's happened. That's happened again and again and again. At this point, he has multiple organizations where he's on monthly retainer with them, doing extremely well. Can't keep up with the new opportunities he's got. But it wasn't by showing up with a degree. Incidentally, he has no college degree, no graduate degree, no degree of anything. And he's highly sought after in the philanthropic world because of what he's proven his value to be. All right. Well, let me go on again. I'll probably come back to that. I'll revisit that because that's going to be an ongoing discussion and um, something that intrigues me. Some of those kind of jobs that people are looking for these days, it's like uh, the old end. It's certainly talked about on Think and Grow Rich, the old kind of quandary where somebody shows up in front of the wood stove of life and says, give me heat, and then next year I'll put some wood in. Well, it doesn't work that way. Of course, stories in, in about like CBD Barnes in, in Think and Grow Rich where he showed up and wanted to work with Thomas Edison. He just showed up. Thomas Edison says, well, you know, gee, I don't know what you can do, what you do. You know, I don't have a position open. He says, that's okay. You know, I'll sweep floors. I'll do anything. And he spent two years doing just menial jobs there. And then with that chance occurrence was made head of sales and marketing and became a millionaire many times over. That's the kind of engagement. That's the kind of door in to some of the greatest opportunities. And sometimes people are too impatient to take that path. Crystal says, I recently resigned from my job in banking after 28 years. I felt I was dying a slow death and was def- desperate for a change. 
I'm so proud that I had the courage to take action and start a new chapter. I'm still fairly young, in my late 40s, and plan to take some time this year to decompress, figure out what I want to do next. I plan to do some volunteer work and networking to figure things out. I have no desire whatever to do anything related to lending or finance. I'm afraid I'm staying. I stayed in one place for so long that I lost my identity and forgot what my interests are. I think I might enjoy doing some humanitarian work. I sponsor a child in Zambia and I'd like to go there someday. I like photography. Any advice is appreciated. Well, I, I commend you. My gosh, I commend you, uh, Crystal, on taking this time for introspection, taking a little time to reflect. It is true. It's not unrealistic to having spent 28 years in an area to have lost a sense of what your own personal dreams are. Not uncommon at all. People get that job and all of a sudden they just become robotized in what they're doing and they lose. What was my dream? I spoke at a church over near Memphis and I spoke on hold fast to dreams. Little Langston Hughes poem, you know, hold fast to dreams for if dreams die, life is like a broken winged bird that cannot fly. I had this guy who sat right in the front row and he waited, waited, waited to talk to me afterwards. I could see that he was trying to wait to be the last person to talk to me. And he was like, I don't have any dreams. I'm like, that's not possible. How would it be possible for you not to have dreams? He said, I don't have any. I said, what do you do? He's a pharmacist, has been for 17 years. And he described in that process the, the kind of old story we tell about the frog in the kettle, where the changes were slow and subtle. But in doing so, over time, he lost sense of who he was totally. At this point, he could not identify that. I said, wow, you got to break the cycle here. You know, your dreams are there. They're just buried below what it is you're doing. So Crystal, and what you're doing, well, take that time and go to Zambia. If you get you know, ex- experiment with your photography, that's what I really encourage you to do experiment with things during this period of time. You'll see glimpses of what it is that really brings life to you. What brings you joy? And in doing so, then you can go a little bit deeper in that area. That's how we, you know, passion is more developed than it is discovered. So follow your curiosity and that'll lead you to those things that'll tell you what this next season of life ought to be for you. Well, a couple more here real quick. Paul says, I'm a CPA with six years of experience. I've learned much in those years, but I've spent most being very frustrated with the just grinded out culture. Got a lot of questions today, it seems, from people who just got stuck in the sameness of what they're doing, even though they're responsible and there's practical careers just kind of sticking it out. And so, and Paul says, I'm pretty miserable where I am. I have aspirations of kicking tax season to the curb this year. Yeah, here we are, y'all, right on top of tax season again. I'm considering starting my own consulting or outsourced CFO business. Basically, I want to be the financial ninja to entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm a high S personality, also fairly high in D. Do you think this kind of business would fit my personality type? My main question is simply this. How would you recommend a guy like me get his first few clients? I have a non-compete that prevents me from doing any side work while I'm in my current job. I've had a couple things lined up, ready to go. I'd launch as soon as possible. Well, makes it a little more challenging that you have a non-compete. Is the model realistic? Yeah, absolutely. And incidentally, if you an outsourced CFO is chief financial officer. So yeah, that's a very realistic opportunity in small businesses. What you need to do is identify who is your target customer. Is it a particular industry? Is it a company with a certain number of employees, with a certain number of uh, revenue 
range, you know, the, identify who is your target customer? Who would you really like to work with? Then I encourage you to go talk to 10 of those people. I mean, talk to 10 of those people who fit that identification that you just came up with and simply ask them, would you be interested? This is without jeopardizing your job at all. What you're talking about is you're going to have to make a complete switch, which is not usually what I recommend. I usually recommend spending that 15 hours a week and in doing that, generate 50% of what you're generating currently and then make a full transition. You're saying with your non-compete, you can't do this kind of work because it's so closely aligned with what you're doing now for the company and rightfully so, certainly understood. So do your research, identify your perfect candidate like that. Go talk to 10 of them. So you get a feel for how realistic it is that this is an opportunity they would be open to. And with that, then all you need is maybe three or four of those, depending on how the finances work out, but say four of those. So if you get four of those who are willing to pay you $2,500 a month, so not a full-time salary, but $2,500 a month to act as their CFO, then you're in business. It's 10 grand a month. You know, you can probably make the switch in doing that. So you're going to have to work into making that full switch. Don't shy away from it because of that. I think what you're describing is very realistic, but just be methodical in planning out what has to happen in advance. Leon says this, and I think I'll make this the last one. Hi, Dan. Recently, I read 48 Days and No More Mondays. Great books. Like you, I'm a car guy. I work as a certified technician for six plus years. Oh, I worked as a certified technician for six plus years, then opened up a used car lot, which led to bankruptcy. Ouch. Have to admit fixing cars and selling them are completely different. Currently work for the state, only earn 40000 a year. I feel like my time is worth way more than that. I'd like to open up my own repair shop as those are my skills and expertise and I enjoy the work. Don't know where to start as my credit is shot in my previous endeavors. I have no savings. Please help. All right, Leon, you can do this. You can do this. All right, I'm going to tell you a quick story, and you're familiar with it if you've read No More Mondays, because in No More Mondays, in chapter eight, I start out talking about Aaron, who was a neighbor of mine. He was he dropped out of school after the eighth grade, never got a high school diploma, and as the oldest of six kids living with his divorced mom, he was angry about the burden he felt at such a young age, and then he got married and was even poor. They were just eking out a living. And he thought, man, what can I do to improve my life? So what he did, um, he, he knew that he enjoyed cars, you know, and that's something where people aren't going to ask you, gee, what are your credentials or what kind of, you know, where'd you graduate from college? No, he just starts working on cars. And he said, what he did, he started this business with a $19 floor jack from Walmart and a plastic toolbox with $60 worth of tools. So I met with him recently. Now I wrote that book, you know, a couple years ago, No More Dreaded Mondays, where I talk about that, but I had lunch with him not that long ago. (sighs) We talked about that story that I had in No More Dreaded Mondays. You know, I described how he dropped out of school after the eighth grade, bounced around in entry-level jobs, then discovered he enjoyed working on cars. So the first year, again, he spent that $19 on a a floor jack and then $60 worth of tools. The first year, just working out of his backyard, he did $65,000 in business. The next year, he did $120,000 while still just working out of an old unheated dirt floor 
uh, barn on the back of his property. It was just down the road from where I live, so I'm very familiar with seeing it develop. Then he rented a warehouse in Franklin, Tennessee, and the next year he brought in $640,000. Two years later, he broke uh, broke $1 million. He expanded. He now has five locations. But what he did is not just scale doing more and more oil changes, changes, spark plugs, you know, new wires. He recognized there's another opportunity. He had a neighboring shop owner who asked if he would coach him on how to grow his business. It was obvious Aaron had grown his business dramatically. Well, Aaron resisted. Then he got another request, then another. So he put together a course with 12 modules. Again, eighth grade high school or eighth grade dropout put together a course just showing how he grew and ran his business. He coached that first competitor who had asked him about how to grow his business. He coached him, charged him $7,000 in two years. He has grown that framework. He told me there are 229,000 auto repair shops in the United States. And that most are 30 days away from closing as a result of poor systems, poor morale today. Check this out. He has 240 shop owners. Now, this is, I, this is probably, uh, this has been eight months or so ago. Well, it's been a little more than that. It's probably close to a year when I had my, this lunch with Aaron. But today, at that point, he had 240 shop owners who were paying him $1,200 each a month to have access to his training. Now, the math on that is mind-blowing. He had, at that point, 490 owners already registered for his next conference. Now, I had the pleasure of speaking at his conference last year and talking to all these shop owners. I absolutely loved connecting with them because of my own affinity for cars and my own car stories. But he has 240 shop owners paying him $1,200 a month to have access to his training about how to grow their business. Just a couple of weeks ago, at that point, we were having a conversation. He did a live webinar for a new course that he had just completed, and he generated $85,000 during the call. Can you do something because you have a background land in cars, but you had a couple bumps in the road? Now you don't have a good credit or a lot of money? Yeah, absolutely. This is where you think creatively. This is where you think outside of just how can you get a job again, you know, doing car repairs or how can you start into the car lot, you know, selling cars where you need a lot of capital to do that. Start with what you've got, be creative in how you list the opportunities. You got to be able to sit down and make a list of 20 things you could do based on what you know about yourself and skills that you know you have right now. Let me just get, leave that as a challenge for you. Make a list of 20 things that you could do, not just one, not just two. That's where you start to stretch into things and not everybody else is doing like Aaron did. Wow. You recognize an opportunity. Other people saying, how did you do what you do? I mean, that's what I've done. I mean, my biggest areas of financial income are not from selling books or coaching people individually, it's teaching other people how to sell books and how to coach. I mean, that far surpasses the income I got from doing that. There's a lot of things where in doing it, you reach an immediate ceiling on what you could possibly generate income-wise. But if you start teaching, you start doing the how-to, 
then it really opens up. Had a young gal one time, she was a nurse, hated being a nurse. She wanted to be an interior decorator, but her parents wouldn't allow her to do that because it was so uncertain. Whereas being a nurse, she'll never be without a job. Well, she was never without a job that she hated. She was always employed, but never enjoyed it. And in making a break, she discovered that she was really good at creating gift baskets. So she got a contract right out of the gate to do 133 gift baskets for the Country Music Awards in Franklin or in in Nashville. And then right after that, she got a contract to prepare 4,600 gift baskets for Taco Bell managers for a conference they were going to have in Nashville. My daughter Ashley was part of, actually part of helping her prepare those. And in, but in, in talking to me, I said, my goodness, you need to let other people know how you get these big contracts to scale your business. Not just be up you know, 24 hours a day in your garage putting together these baskets. No, teaching others how to do that. Well, that's exactly what she did. She put together some very, very rough videos, but then as a result of those was given opportunity to speak at national conferences and gift baskets. And she exploded her business and her own success by teaching other people how to do what she did rather than doing it herself. Well, I love these kind of questions that you all submit and keep those coming in. Just send those in to ask Dan at 48days.com. That's where you can always just get my attention there. That gives me the opportunity to choose some of these, unpack them together here. Hope this has been inspirational for you. Let us know your successes. Let us know the stories about things that you're doing, how you broke out of the norm. How do you broke out of the expectations? How you changed what work you were doing at 57 years old. Now you're doing something really fulfilling and profitable as well. Love those stories. Again, shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. Check out our upcoming events. I told you about that. If you go to 48days.com open house, you'll be able to participate in that open call that I'm going to do with Eric Johnson. We'll be talking about podcasting, but it'll give you a sense of what we do every week in the amazing 48 Days Eagles community. And if you want to know if it's too late, When's it too late to find work you love? Just go to 48days.com slash old. But keep in mind our quotation from C.S. Lewis, you are never too old to set a new goal or dream. Or dream a new dream. I, I messed that up. He said, you're never too old to set a new goal or dream a new dream. Sorry about that, C.S. Lewis. So keep dreaming, keep setting new goals. And keep sharing your ideas with others. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who are cheering you on, not the naysayers and whiners. People who are complaining there's no opportunities, everything's shut down. No, get around people who are going to cheer you on. There's lots of them out there. We've got them in 48 Days Eagles. You can find people who are cheer you on so you can dream, bring your dreams to life. So thanks for being part of this group. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you're still listening, I really do. I thank you for that. I know you have choices. Lots of them. You can decide in the first five seconds if you're going to continue listening or not. But thanks for being an ongoing listener. I love the ongoing notes I get from people who've been listening for years. It encourages me, keeps me doing what, I, what I'm loving doing. Thanks for being part of this community that's growing every day where we know without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.